um, our experience of being on a diet, physical and mental. I think we've done that, haven't we? Mm. Um, it's gone really quiet. I suppose we are speaking quite quietly, aren't we? <laughs> We're speaking quite quietly now. <laughs> we are speaking quite quietly. Welcome. But they don't have to do that. They actually have an option, and that is that they can rent. They don't. They perceive. They incorrectly perceive an asset as a liability, and the other way around. Okay, so today, welcome to episode 22. We're going to be talking about calculating your own beta. (laughs) So you beta, get ready. (laughs) When I was 16, I was already calculating my own beta. Beta than you. (laughs) Beta safe than sorry. Anyway, I think we better get started. <laughs> Is that recorded? Yeah, but we can't. We can't. We definitely can't. We're absolutely going to listen to that and go, "What the fuck are they talking about now?" <laughs> and we're recording again. Okay, this will be the opening. Is this episode thirty point five then? Let's just call it thirty one, and then. We- well, because I had the I had the wobble, didn't I? Where I, I wasn't sure whether doing half episodes is cheating or the opposite of cheating with regards to it's the keep... opposite. It's yeah. taking a WADA-approved um, <laughs> sedative before going out onto the platform. <laughs> we have it's we... taking a muscle relaxant before squatting. Yeah. Or like an emetic, something to make you throw up before you bench. Something that will really impact your very drastically, acutely impact your sodium balance so that you cramp up as soon as you start to lift. Pulling an absolute Hubbard. We have discussed this before. I don't know whether it's been on the podcast, actually, the the thought of supplementing sarcastically. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Or is it sarcastic or ironic? You could do it both. Sarcastic, (laughs) ironic supplementation. So wake up, gram of melatonin. ZMA... Gram of melatonin. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Not messing Shotgun. around. <laughs> an absolute nuclear warhead approach. <laughs> and then trying to fight through your morning. Maybe consistently taking like a couple of, like a couple of hundred milligrams of magnesium. So then have magnesium before you train. Um, also just down 50 grams creatine. No water. Just, um, With a spoon, just spoon it into dry. your mouth. Um, don't have any of your water until that evening. Chamomile tea. Chamomile tea all pre- day pre-workout yeah well no pre- pre-workout that's when but your evening routine that's when things start getting pretty serious so you start having say gram of caffeine um some hemo rage yeah anger of the curse angry music uh do warm up for a heavy single but don't do the heavy single then just go then try and go to sleep like yeah. listening to metal getting really amped mm, up for really it. amped up shouting and then as soon as you wake up Grammar melatonin again, just get things, you know, it's important to keep the circadian rhythm <laughs> in line. I imagine if you did that for a week, normal life thereafter would feel amazing because mm, you're just not, so simple. not an uphill struggle yeah. anymore. Ben Torme, who um, used to write for Propane, has, um, he wrote a tweet the other day, which I quite enjoyed. It was, uh, if you think that nutrient timing is a myth, then try having all of your protein in the morning, all of your carbs for afternoon tea and then um, all of your fat at night and tell me how that works out. 
The only pop, the only meal that would be an issue, in my opinion, is the fat meal. All your fat in one go. It would, you'd feel pretty. I, I, I more mean pra- the practical side of it. So I think all the protein in one go, like you just have cook up a big dish of meat, you know, meats, yeah. egg whites, low fat dairy, whey. Like it'd be okay. Like it wouldn't be the nicest thing in the world, but it'd be okay. Lunchtime, carbs, Haribo, sugar, syrup, honey, syrups, jams. I, I have 100% carb meals occasionally. All, all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's the, it's what you do when it comes to the evening. Like you just kind of drink cream, whipped cream. So if, if you guys have, um, have not seen Furious Pete on YouTube, I'd recommend checking him out. He, he eats butter. Yeah. He's a, uh, a competitive eater and, uh, he used to be anorexic and overcame it. He, he thinks that he's got some kind of issue with his, um, appetite regulation in that he can just keep eating and never feels full. So he put it to good use and became a competitive eater. And yeah, there's a video where he drinks 750 milliliters of olive oil. Um, he does it in about two minutes, like without any breaks. Um, eats a pound of butter. He does uh, all sorts. He's actually, he's got a video on overcoming testicular cancer. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. Very moving. Really, really lowered the tone there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, aside from his, his, his channel is just an absolute emotional whirlwind, to be honest. So <laughs> I would, uh, <laughs> Be careful how long you spend on that. In fact, he well, he's the best one to get ideas of how to how to ruin your nutrient timing. If you um, he he has this, a tub of whey in one go. Does he? It's a tub. It's a kilo tub of peanut butter flavored whey, and he mixes it into a bowl just with a little bit of water, so it's like a paste, and oh, just eats that. Man. Wearing a t-shirt with the nipples cut out of the t-shirt. <laughs> um, I think he eats two loaves of cinnamon toast, oh, <laughs> with like twenty four eggs dipped he's in. He's got it a very unique. Like way of viewing life, hasn't he? Because <laughs> I remember what he said on the end of the cancer video was that when a lot of people have these situations happen, you know, these illnesses, and they come out the other side and they're okay and their life continues, they have this fresh view on life that they need to, you know, quite often people quit their job and go traveling. And he was like, Yeah, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And That's like, cool. that is cool, but when you consider what that actually is for. <laughs> When it's eating two loaves of cinnamon toast with your nipples cut out your t-shirt, uh, you know, I mean, if that's what you like doing, then great. Yeah, each to their own, but... That but is. If you think, like, you know, you, you Sunday night, you sit down, you plan your week, Monday morning, right, I need to get some work done, what do I need to do? Uh, record a video for my channel. Okay, right, I need to eat two loaves of cinnamon toast by midday. Have I got two dozen eggs? Yep. Great. Check. But day ruined. As soon as you've done that, like, how do you function... Beyond the two loaves of how, cinnamon. How do you plan your macros for the rest of the day? Like the rest of the week. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> considering that he has a five hundred pound deadlift, he's a strong I think, guy. No, I think six hundred or six sixty. He's like he's a serious lifter. Yeah. I mean, you, you would expect that if you eat chowing down that much, that much food, but that's true. Um, Just reaping the gains. Yeah. He said the after effects of the olive oil uh, for the next three days. He was just pooing columns. Columns. Yeah. Don't we know someone that went to hospital for the for olive oil? A pint of olive oil, mm. stomach pump. Yeah, that's familiar. Mm. I think someone we went to school with. I think it might be Benny. Um, no, I don't know if it was Benny. I don't know. Benny. <laughs> Benny may sound like a completely unrelated thing, but the, the music that you hear at the start of this podcast—that's Benny. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why I mentioned it. Yeah, we know somebody who was, I think, rushed to hospital because they drank a pint of olive oil. So, Furious Pete is dicing with death, really. Oh, but hard to do. 
to dice with death. Well, to, to, to drink that much olive oil. I used oh. to, I think the most I've drunk is 200 milliliters, and that was when I was... That's insane. Yeah, and it makes you feel awful. I think so. I've had, I used to have occasionally a teaspoon back when I was a bro. I used to have a teaspoon to hit my fats. Because it because it's physically impossible to get fat if it's from healthy food sources, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> so you can just, it's healthy fats. Yeah, that's it. Healthy, wholesome fats. Avocado. <laughs> so today... Podcast. Let's do the podcast. Podcast. Yeah. We were going to discuss... Uh, so last episode, we discussed drugs, Maria Sharapova, Jesse Norris, and um, what caused them to get bans from WADA and... We're just going to talk today about why we compete in drug-tested federations, why we are drug-free, and why we plan to be for the foreseeable future. So I love how Yusuf was making eye contact with me there that looked like he was just confirming that I now are drug-free. And we're planning to say, Johnny, yeah, Johnny, we're planning to stay drug-free. <laughs> well, yeah, so. For those of you who followed us for a while, you'll know that we both compete in the GBPF, uh, which is part of the IPF, and that is, I believe, the strictest drug testing in powerlifting, I think. I know the BDFPA are pretty, um, pretty on it as well, but yeah, the IPF are um, getting more and more strict as time goes by. So to do international competitions, I had to sign a form that says that... Um, they could arrive at my house with a mo- with no notice and make me wee in a cup, um, as as what happened to you for the last competition. Um, Luckily, it wasn't at my house. I'd, no. I'd be, you'd be quite annoyed, like if you're busy doing whatever, mm. and you have to stop what you're doing because you'd seem guilty as well, wouldn't you? And you're like, oh no, no, I need to go out. <laughs> like, no, you need to you need to wee in this cup. Yeah, it, it makes you seem. I mean, when when you, I mean, I was there when when you got drug tested last time, and there's a guy walking around. It's quite good in a way. Like they take it quite seriously. There's somebody walking around with a clipboard who is clearly doing an, an up and down. Who's who's natty? Who's not natty? Um, and in Yusuf's weight class, there was <laughs> there was you know the standard powerlifter is somebody who's in like reasonable shape, but there's no one who's that lean. There's no one who's that you know carrying kind of t-shirt muscles basically. Um, and then there's Yusuf who's walking around. <laughs> what what could it could it be the bodybuilding show? Um, vascular everywhere, big massive delts, and just gets taken on one side straight away, <laughs> shuffled <laughs> into a room and made a wee in a pot. Uh, I asked the guy like, "Why have I been selected? Like, what's?" It? And he, he he was silent. I was like, "Is it random?" And he was like, mm, "Can be, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, it's because I think you're on drugs." <laughs> I mean, I think that's the it's just part of the, you know being in that population. If if Yusuf was in a you know, in the lineup for a physique show, um, where that was kind of the norm to be that lean and have that kind of proportion, then, you know, it would probably be fine. But, um, so yeah, we just wanted to talk about why we made that decision and why we aren't competing in other federations that allow kind of anything you want really to throw, to throw into the mix to allow maximum performance. And it's a much wider topic, you know, whether, whether to want, whether to not take drugs. But I think, there's, there's two sides. One is the obvious medical health risks that drugs carry. And then the second one is the, the psychological side that I, for me is more, is ironically more convincing. I just think because you don't experience the health benefits of the health benefits <laughs> of drugs. 
<laughs> you don't experience the health risks directly. You know, that's something that you would, you would see 10, 15 years down the line. Um, the thing that would be most pervasive for me is as soon as you've done a cycle of drugs where it's kind of the where next, um, idea. So yes, you do loads of drugs. You add 40 kilos to your squat. Then what? Like most advice would be cycle off the drugs in which you get weaker. And then unless you're going to continue to take drugs for the rest of your life, you're going to be playing catch up. Similar to if somebody took you out of your current house, placed you in a, a mansion with all the cars you could possibly want, all the kind of women or men or whatever, whatever your preference is you could possibly want. Um, you can do what you want with your day and then suddenly you go back to reality. And that's, you know, the, the, Albeit maybe slightly extreme comparison. You become that guy, Dan, with the beard, the poker man, um, Bilzerian. Yeah. <laughs> you become him for a week and then you come back to you, um, your terrorist house. Nine, nine to five, nine yeah. to five job. Yeah. So I think that's for me, at least when it comes to practically making the decision. Obviously there are, there are health risks, significant health risks with it. But yeah, I mean, spending your entire life, the rest of your life chasing something that you achieved when you took drugs or, continuing to take drugs to maintain that level neither of them are desirable for me whatsoever yeah i think my approach is relatively similar i think with performance enhancing drugs it's kind of like you're operating on borrowed performance or borrowed time um, and this goes for physical or mental ones i think some of these study drugs that seem to be coming out and they're a little bit um, still in their new infant phases and we don't know how safe they are you may just be operating on on borrowed mental capacity and then you have to pay it back at some point when you've you've given yourself a artificial surge of neurotransmitters or whatever and then later on you're paying the price <clears throat> so there's that there's also the fact that if you take steroids for example you've then um set your endogenous production of those hormones to be lower in the future so it's it's to do with whether you think that that's worth it for you. It might only be, say, a 5% reduction over time. Um, yes, there are benefits to, if someone takes steroids, they can actually increase the satellite cell density in their muscles, which means that um, the, the amount of muscle that they can carry, even once they're off the drugs later on, even years later, is higher. Um, but for me, the reason for not being on drugs is, yeah, health, health and medical reasons. I don't think it's, it's worth it. Um, I don't particularly fancy being a hundred kilos lean. Um, <laughs> I, I think it would have diminishing returns. And also it's just, um, the amount of complexity and other it's so it's hard enough, um, planning your, your training and diet around around your life and, and then sorting out the programming and everything to then add in an additional very complex variable mm. as well as something which um, <clears throat> particularly if, it, if it's illegal, you're going to have to try and find a supplier and make sure that you, that supplier doesn't get caught and then you, you run out of, you run out or whatever it is. It, I don't know. It just throws in an extra um, complexity that I feel is unnecessary at this stage. I'm perfectly happy um, with the current rate of progress and, yeah, the rest of it. And there's an art, there's a series of articles by um, Paul Carter on liftrunbang.com. Um, he taught he calls it dark siding. So 
you know, the, the side of fitness that is the dark side, which is the drug performance enhanced side. Um, and I, I don't think the article series is necessarily intended as a confession, but I don't know, take from it what you want. But he, he talks about having to learn an entirely new language when you start taking drugs, basically. You know, I think, as Yusuf says, I think it can, I think feasibly you're looking at 10, 15 years to get to the point where with diet and normal training, you could say pretty comfortably, yeah, I think I know quite well how I respond to certain setups, how I, what I need to do to progress. I have a, a detailed knowledge of programming, nutritional setup, etc. And even then, I think we, we, we've both been training, what, seven, eight years, something like that. It's, it's probably pushing 10 years now. Is it? If you include like the, the doing, down doing kills. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we, we both consider ourselves to still be learning very much. You know, we spent four hours at a seminar by Boris Shako the, the other week and we're both kind of very much humbled with how poorly we understand programming. So there's that, there's planning that around your life, there's forming habits to fit these in, sort of install this software into your day-to-day existence and then throw into that that you also need to manage drug cycles, um, injections, post-cycle therapy, setting up your cycle for the rest of your life and managing your own hormonal environment as well. Just, it, it seems un, not desirable in my opinion. But and if you were to start looking on forums for how to set up a steroid cycle, you've got these people that are chemists, chemists, <laughs> and they're arguing um, violently over like, oh no, that's completely wrong, and this is, mm. and it, it just to me, it just looks like a whole bunch of bro science that people don't really know what they're doing. Um, I'm not willing to be a, a human lab rat and and play these experiments um, with something that you know the endocrine system is so already fragile that I don't think it's really worth messing with just to get bigger arms or to, to lift a bit more. The other issue is that when you are competing in a drug tested federation, assuming that everyone is drug free and not just on drugs, but escaping the test, which is just bad sportsmanship, then it's, it's as level a playing field as, as it, as it can be. Yeah. There's differences in genetics and um, people's height and, bone structure and all that but that's part of the game whereas if you go into a non-drug tested and everyone's on drugs you've suddenly delimited the amount of Mm -hmm. you've taken the ceiling off on the amount of hormone or the amount of anything that can be in someone's body and at that point particularly with bodybuilding it can get very quickly to the point of how many drugs can you take before you drop dead so <laughs> um, that's that's not a great position to be in and it, and if if it's to the if it, you get to the point where you're like okay i've just got to take more drugs than the next guy to win um assuming we're all training the same and then it doesn't really seem like much of a fun it, you even activity. hear of these bodybuilders who um you know i know jay cutler for example um Hi, Jay, by the way, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> he's an avid listener of the <laughs> Propane Fitness podcast. <laughs> I know that he's taking time off away from bodybuilding, from competing in Mr. Olympia and stuff like that. He may have retired completely. I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely up to speed. But I know that there's been people make judgments that, you know, are oh, he can't get his hands on the drugs that he needs this time or he stopped responding to it. Um, and there's been some some suggestion that bodybuilders at the top level stop responding, you know, that the, the sites at which these drugs act, I don't have an intricate enough understanding, but where you would experience the benefits that these sites stop to re- stop responding as well as they could. Um, and they get kind of like 
saggy triceps or whatever it might be compared to what they had three, four years prior. Um, so yeah, it becomes just absolute chemical warfare at the very top level when you've taken that ceiling off a sport. And you've taken, um, that you, you've put your body through quite a lot of stress that it wasn't really designed to take your cardiovascular system. And really, if you're going to try and win Mr. Olympia, that's, that's the price you pay. But, um, as some of you may know, I'm studying medicine at the moment and the result in the exam is not about how clever you are at all. And there's some people that come in thinking that because they're clever, they're going to sail through the exams and it, it's got very little to do with it. Um, they're quickly humbled by, um, the fact that your result is a direct function of how much you've worked, how many hours you've, you've worked and how much you've memorized the material. And yeah, it's possible to get 80, 85% in the exams if you absolutely pound it. But, um, there's, there's diminishing returns and, and, and that's going to start the, the, the more hours you study, the more that's taken away from, um, enjoying the rest of your life. And, uh, it's going to impact on your health, but yeah, you, maybe you squeeze out a few extra percentage points and both myself and Johnny have, have come from working in a corporate environment before this. And, uh, that's very similar, if, particularly things like investment banking, where you do 70 hour weeks are the norm. And yeah, you can stay up until 4am and make that presentation for your manager or whatever. But, um, it, if that's what you want to get out of it, but there's always, it's, it's not going to be increasing returns to that. Yeah. I mean, what, so we're both kind of originally trained, um, in economics and finance. And I think we both view things from the point of view of utility and constraints. And the reason that anybody makes a decision at any point in time is to maximize their personal satisfaction from that decision, whether or not consciously or not. And something like taking drugs is a decision that somebody makes because they perceive it to yield a level, a great level of happiness for them. They're not taking drugs, but as with anything with increased risk leading to increased reward, the way that I perceive it is you're still accessing something which is ultimately victory in some, in a strength sport or, or, a, um, a regular sport or bodybuilding. And the fact that there are drug free versions of all of those, you can still access that, that feeling of winning on a lower, slightly lower level, slightly, maybe slightly less regarded level, but with much less risk. With all of those things, with powerlifting, bodybuilding, and the examples we were giving about, um, corporate careers and studying and all, all of these are linear pursuits and there is no defined endpoint. Um, that you, you don't win, you, you know, that you, you can always add more to your, your total in powerlifting. You can always get bigger mm. or more conditioned or whatever. So it's not like, um, you can get the hundred percent and then say, right, I'm done. Yeah. Well, all finished now. Um, or like I've won at banking, or whatever. You know? so, <laughs> I've completed banking. Yeah. <laughs> I fought Level the, fought the boss at the end. And, now, <laughs> and, and so you, you then have to be the one that determines how far you want to take it and how much utility it's going to offer you. Um, and at what point you're going to say, you know what, I'm satisfied with, with my, my run. Mm. I think the, the example that I always give, so we, we've both had clients in the past who have considered drugs. Um, I think it's normal if you get into this, indus- in, in this industry, it's not into this world. Um, you start competing, you think you've got a talent for it and, um, you believe that, you know, with further, with further pursuit, you may be able to take this further. The idea of, well, should I go down the enhanced route and try to take it to world record level? 
Um, would that be a, would that be a sensible decision? But I think if you consider, let's say your goal is to bench press 140 kilos to three plates in a gym. And if I were to just gift that to you now and say you could do it from the time you next step foot in a gym, would that yield enjoyment? Yes, no. And for most people, 140 kilos doesn't mean anything because it's 140 kilos. It means something because it's relative to where they are now. Or you relative. put in the work and achieve that. Exactly. Yeah. So whether or not, you know, so for me, winning, winning nationals, so that, you know, in the federation we both compete in, nationals is like the UK, the, the UK championship, basically. Winning that would be considered a, a massive achievement. And if you did that by taking drugs, would it carry the same level of achievement? I think the, the result is um, the comparison's pretty accurate in the sense that if that was just gifted to me by taking loads of drugs and winning, would it feel the same as doing it, maybe taking five years to do it and winning naturally, having solved and conquered all the little intricate problems that come along that journey? I'd rather take the second route and then just lie to everyone and yeah. be a bastard. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I suppose that any reward that I perceive that um can be taken from can be achieved by taking drugs is really the same but just at a higher level. And that higher level carries much greater risk. And I think for that reason, neither of us take or ever plan to take drugs. Just creating. Just creating. Just creating. <laughs> Which some people think... Uh, is a drug. Is a drug, gives you creating rage and uh, acne and big nipples and the rest of it. Well, it does, doesn't it? I've, well... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so that's all, the, that's all the drug talk, I think, for us for a while. Um, and that's it for Propo Fitness Podcast, episode 30.5. Hopefully that was useful to you guys. Let us know if you have any questions and anything else you want to hear us discuss and speak to you soon.